This episode of Grow Getters is brought to you by the Grow Getters Growth Hacks newsletter. Subscribe at growgetterspodcast.com for your regular fix of hands-on hacks for business babes. Hey guys, welcome to Grow Getters, the future skills podcast for smart women in business. Whether you're crushing it in your career, your super side hustle, or your lady startup, we have got you covered. Today, we are hosting an unmissable masterclass with the UK's most well-known psychologist today, Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. She has so, so much experience in publishing, academia, work on policy, and has been a presence within the media in the UK for many, many years. Linda is a chartered psychologist, an associate fellow of the British Psychological Society, and a chartered scientist. She has worked in various treatment settings, both privately for her own practice and in the NHS. She has been a chartered psychologist for 21 years and has gained extensive experience in the counselling of individuals, couples and families. She was recently included in the top 20 therapists in London by the Evening Standard and was awarded the Madame Figaro Woman of the Year Award in the field of academia. During her academic career, she set up and headed successful doctorate and postgraduate programs, namely the Doctorate in Counselling Psychology that she set up for London Metropolitan University. Linda is an active researcher and her work has informed government policy both in the area of psychodermatology and in the study of the objectification of women. She's also recently headed up a highly acclaimed independent review for the UK's Home Office on the effects of sexualisation on young people. The report was a massive success and she was invited to present her research at the European Parliament in Brussels. Over the past 18 years, she has become one of the most recognised faces on TV in the United Kingdom. She is a regular commentator on psychological issues and has hosted several shows, including the Channel 5 shows Doctor Doctor and Double Cross, the BBC show The One Show, just to name a few. She's not only a household name in the UK, but she has also been invited to comment and host shows for American and international TV and radio networks, including CNN, CBS, Discovery, CNBC, BBC International, MTV, and the list goes on. Her advice on psychological matters is very often syndicated around the world. Linda was a contributing editor and wrote a regular column for Cosmopolitan magazine for 15 years. One of her books, Becoming a Therapist, is in its fourth reprint and is used by clinicians and trainee therapists all over the world. She's been invited to give two TED Talks and she has sat on the advisory boards for corporations including Google, Ask.fm and she is currently an ambassador for Internet Matters, a non-profit organisation advising parents on how to help children navigate the online world. Linda is currently working with the Diana Awards on a project based on her work on digital identity, looking at how young people crowdsource identity and the impact of this on mental health and self-esteem. Finally, she is one of the few psychologists who have worked within the tech world. Linda is seriously impressive and we are so honoured that she agreed to come on this podcast this week. We hope you get as much out of this masterclass as we have. So without further ado, here's Linda. Okay, Linda, thank you so much for joining us. We are so stoked to have you on the podcast. 
Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we start every episode with the same question, which is what have you read, watched or listened to in the last week that's really inspired you? <laughs> okay, this is really embarrassing because I've just been watching the equivalent of junk food on TV. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something really profound. Actually, I'm currently watching quite a, an interesting series on Netflix called White Lines, um, which is quite funny and sort of well done. So I'm not sure about inspiring me because it's all um, about mishaps um, in Ibiza and things like that. But no, but it's very fun to watch. So yeah, But also fun. I think it's also nice to, to take, take a moment to relax and enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've done a huge amount of work in many areas of psychology. And today we're going to hone into an area that's really relevant for many people right now. The CEO from Alphabet said that mental health is definitely going to be an issue coming out of this pandemic. And it's something we all have to address more. Uh, You are often interviewed about future trends and issues we need to be aware from a psychological standpoint. Are there any key issues that you see that are arising from this pandemic? For example, recognizing the toll the pandemic is having on employees, working from home, dealing with isolation, loneliness, separation from family and friends, for example? There's, yeah, there's several issues arising. I think fundamentally, when you kind of try and understand the impact of the pandemic, you kind of need to understand that it's sort of, it kind of ticked every box, sort of feeds into the sort of holy trinity of anxiety, right? So it ticked novelty, it ticked threat, it ticked this idea of uncertainty. So all of these things together kind of belie a lot of the psychological ramifications that we see coming out of them. So I think initially, and, and we kind of even almost see this today to some extent, I mean, in different news reports, people kind of seeing each other, not as other human beings, but as potential virus risks, right? So you mm-hmm. kind of see this, this hyper-awareness of, you know, someone not wearing a mask or walking too close to you, which of course in many ways is understandable. But also I think to some extent this sort of isolation isolation has made us very protectionist, has made us look very much inwards, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's something we're going to have to relook at it and being able to kind of, you know, strengthen those community connections, begin to see each other as something other than, you know, a viral threat. Um, I think also the big one for me as well is the fact that we are working from home. Now, you know, I've spoken about this often that many times our technological advancement or technological evolution um, outpaces our social and psychological evolution. And we've seen this, you know, in, in a lot of different areas, you know, from how the effects of social media and sort of, you know, how the you know, hacks dopamine through gaming. But now what we're seeing is that something that should have taken, you know, I don't know, it's at least 10 years, right? This idea that we're all moving to work from home happened over the course of three months. And as a consequence, I think. Um, not only are we seeing people almost afraid to go back to work, mm-hmm. there's also, I think, this this sense of what what else did work do, you know, that, that kind of allowed us to connect as human beings. You think of the amount of people that met their partners through work or, or mm-hmm. that, you know, met sort of close friends through work, you know, not to mention keeping the local sort of, you know, sandwich shop alive, not to mention, you know, the rhythms of that commute during the day and what that meant. All of a sudden, there seems to be this very quick shift of saying, okay, if we can do all this stuff at home let's do it without looking at the concomitant effects around that importance of socializing Mm -hmm. yeah interesting you know I completely see that and as we are in the middle of a global pandemic or epidemic many people's businesses and careers are under pressure like you just mentioned Um, and nearly everyone is affected in some way by this virus even if they haven't actually had it Mm -hmm. Uh, as you probably are getting asked many times what can we do to maintain our mental health when stress and fear and anxiety takes over yeah I think there's a few things that we can do I think the first one is you know when people come and see me sort of even 
clinically, one of the first things I look at is how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you moving? Now, this sounds very basic, but if you kind of think of sort of our well-being as a pyramid, that's kind of the base of that pyramid. And one of the things that um, the, the virus did is it disrupted that because we were at home all day. We weren't eating in the right way. We were certainly weren't moving as much. We weren't allowed to move as much. You know, we know the effects that um, sleep has on mental health as well. And we know that people tended to have very sort of disturbed sleep cycles simply because they could stay up and watch, you know, things on TV much later and they, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't have to get up at a particular time. I would say the first thing is get that stuff right. Kind of it's, mm-hmm. it's vital to one's mental health. And then kind of drawing on from that also, so routine. So there needs to be a sense of regularity. We're creatures of habit as human beings, right? So ensuring that you have a routine is, is very good for your mental health. But then also, I think on a perhaps more philosophical, more deep level, there's something important about tolerating uncertainty. We all want to feel that we're safe, we're in control. But the fact is that in order to, to function, you know, we can't tick every box of what makes us anxious. And so we have to function on instead of possibility, it might possibly be infected, the world might possibly end on probability, what is likely? Because, you know, when we conflate probability and possibility, we kind of experience threats in a, in a much more dangerous way around us. So I think sitting down and kind of educating ourselves around, you know, let's start with the virus. We know a lot more now than we did in March, right? We know the importance of washing hands, wearing masks. We know that underlying health conditions have an issue. We know how to approach this differently. So kind of being able to sort of buffer yourself with that information. We also know that, um, again, physical isolation doesn't have to mean social isolation. We're also very social creatures. So a big part of a lot of the work that I was doing during lockdown was, you know, making sure people were connecting creatively online. You know, I, mm-hmm. my mom lives in Cyprus. I live in London. I'd often cook with her online. Oh, <laughs> nice. Tablets and she could criticize my awful cooking skills. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's very important. And also, again, this, this notion of adaptability. You know, we need to remember that adapting is a dynamic process. You don't adapt once and you're done. As you get more information, you adapt. And and that need to come out of your comfort zone and adapt is critical as well. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Are there any special methods or exercises we can practice to deal with anxiety and stress from what you just mentioned? Yeah, I know that there's a lot that we can do. I think the first thing we can do is we can begin to capture those thoughts that are functional and those that are dysfunctional. So what I would say to people out there is to kind of just jot down every time you feel kind of anxious or worried, learn to kind of separate the thought and the feeling. So it may be that I'm feeling really upset and anxious. What what, what am I feeling upset and anxious about? Well, I've just heard that I need to go back to work. So if I write that down and I write next to it, okay, well, you know, what are the things that, that are actually underlying this? Well, I'm afraid people might touch me. I'm afraid that my boss will ask me to do things. Okay, well, let's see how I can then approach that in a functional way. Maybe it's about getting more information from my workplace. Maybe it's about me speaking to my boss before I go in and talking about what I feel comfortable with. So what we're trying to do is to capture the negative thoughts, to work on the stuff that actually makes a difference, but also to identify those thoughts that are really rational. Like if I leave the house, I'm definitely going to get sick. We still know that in the vast majority of cases, you know, people that have corona don't die from it. Certainly certain proportion do, but many, many, the vast majority don't. So kind of being able to kind of see this again in a way that that is more functional rather than just focusing on the threat. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. And on the contrary, there's a lot of people also losing jobs and being out of work. Um, very often, actually, identity is connected to what we do in life. You know, if we are out of work or on JobKeeper or here in Germany, it's called Kurzarbeit. Many, many, many months, I know many people are, are actually out of work for a long time. Could you talk a bit about identity and identifying with a role and how to manage this when, you know, businesses or jobs are just not working out? That's such a brilliant and such an important question. I think you're absolutely right. A huge part of our identity is very often intertwined with this idea of of what I do. In fact, you know, anyone who's been to a dinner party recently, it's kind of the question that's often asked, hey, you know, what's your name? What do you do? So Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah, it becomes who we are. And I think I think there's some soul searching that has to happen here. You know, you're you're a human being. You're not a human doing, right? So what we do may very much reflect, you know, uh, who we are. But sometimes, many times, I would argue it doesn't. You know, some of us have this vocational calling to be a whatever, an architect, a priest, a doctor. But for most of us, this is an ongoing process. And, you know, if we think of ourselves as a pie, it's sort of different slices of the pie. So I think it's about understanding that you are more than what you do. And one of the exercises I'll often do with people is to get them to do precisely this, to write down those things that they value about themselves and Mm -hmm. then to put them on that pie. And, you know, if that piece of I am a whatever, you know, a CEO of this room is the biggest part of the pie, then it's about looking at what the meaning behind CEO of that position means. Is it that I have power? Is it that I have respect? Is it that I'm, you know, is it a status thing? And if that's the thing that, you know, that, that you're after, it's about looking at what other parts of your world either give you that or what other parts of the world it, you can foster. It's really critical. And, I, you know, I, I worked interestingly in body image for, for many years. And one of the things I'd often say is don't put all your eggs in the beauty basket. I would say the same thing with this type of, you know, don't put all your eggs in the, in the status basket. And that, you know, there, there's a lot more to you of having a C-suite, you know, title after your name. And that doesn't mean that one shouldn't be ambitious and work towards things. It certainly does mean that we need to be much more realistic. You know, forget, you know, Corona. I think, you know, AI and computing within the next few years is going to disrupt mm-hmm. so much of the work we do to the point that I'm already being asked about, you know, kind of ensuring that we we have government sort of making sure that people are employed even though they can employ machines more efficiently. People need wow. a sense of purpose, right? We need a sense of purpose. However, that purpose has to be something that we seek out ourselves, right? So again, this is really, I think, fundamental and, and core to our well-being. And that purpose can come from giving back. It can come from learning, can come from growing, but it certainly shouldn't come from just holding on to this one aspect of who I feel I ought to be in, you know, in the realm of of my employment fascinating. I, I love those insights. You know, there is a lot of pressure for female business owners and solopreneurs and even career women to not only kill it in their work, but also be thought leaders and influencers in their industry. Kind of connected to the previous question, what advice would you give in balancing these aspects with dealing with this so-called pressure of being, you know, the best? Yeah, it is such an interesting thing. If you kind of look at the evolution of how we got here, you know, there was such a, a need to kind of have these prescriptive roles in the 60s and then, you know, 50s and 60s. And then, you know, later in the 60s, we burnt our bras and, you know, we decided we could be whatever we wanted. And somehow we got to a position that it wasn't, you know, we shouldn't be what we want. We should be everything. And I'm not sure that that's really useful. Look, I'm a mother of a daughter. I'm, you know, 
very aware that it's important for her to have access to whatever she wants to do, but I'm also very aware as a mother of a daughter how much pressure women put on themselves in terms of perfectionism, in terms of having it all. And one of the things that uh, that it's clear is that the only thing that this need for perfectionism gets you is that you never feel you're good enough. You know, mm-hmm. I'll spoil the suspense to anyone who's trying to be perfect out there. You're not. None of us are. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you know, the question shouldn't be, can I do it all? The question should be like, what do I want to do? And this might sound a bit controversial, but again, looking at all these kind of areas of like, you know, equality, how many women do we have in STEM? How many, I think it's wonderful that women want to be in STEM if they want to, but it shouldn't be just because men are doing it, women should do it. I think that's, there's almost a sexism in that. <laughs> you shouldn't apologize if you you know you're not into math and engineering you know you're really mm-hmm. something like that. and i think we've kind of lost our, our way a little bit with that you know by all means we shouldn't be penalized for wanting to do it by all means we should support you know a million percent girls that want to do that boys that want to do that but i think these discussions around having what another group has to prove that you can do it i'm not sure it's the right discussion i think you know if anything it fosters this need to constantly prove that you can do everything. And I think on a uh, on a more fundamental note, it's about why do I want what I want? It's asking that kind of meta question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Another interesting topic and might be hard for some people, but you know, very often as women, we try and push on without talking to someone, be it a friend, family member, or a qualified professional like yourself. You know, this time is bringing up a lot of interesting feelings for people and it is an uncertain time. When is it the right time to start talking to somebody? I think very much it's important that you take your own temperature psychologically. And by that, I mean, in, in the same way that physically you kind of, you, you get that sore throat, that tickle, or you get that fever. Psychologically, if you see yourself having symptoms that aren't going away, right, that are lasting either longer or they're coming more frequently, then I think it's really critical that you try and address them sooner rather than later. We know that that the sooner you address symptoms, the easier often it is to kind of deal with them. So I think in the first instance, um, it's it's about kind of looking out for what's going on and then trying by yourself to see if you can do something to push back on it. So again, getting the basics right, you know, monitoring your thoughts so you're not having this sort of all or nothing negative thinking that we spoke about, you know, reaching out to friends. But if you feel that this isn't helping, then as someone who's worked in this area for so long, we have to have a sense of entitlement over our mental health, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. You know, you know, you you wouldn't apologize for having a broken arm or a sore stomach. You know, you wouldn't try and, and reset your arm by yourself well you might mm-hmm. but probably really unsuccessfully you need to do the same thing with mental health you know reach out there's an amazing sort of system out there thank goodness we've gotten to the point now that we recognize the importance of mental health and um, so i would speak to your gp or whatever the equivalent is in you know in your country family doctor get a referral and sometimes the techniques that you use from you know that you learn from a good therapist will last you a lifetime as well so it's it's a wonderful process to go through And how important is it today for women in business, whether business owners or career gals, to cultivate healthy habits? Are there any daily practices you would recommend to make us healthier and happier? Yeah. Do you know what? I think a big one is gratitude. I think. Nice. Yeah. Every night when we have a dinner with my husband and daughter, we talk about what's the best thing that happened to you today. And we've done that for years. And we do that just because I think it's so easy for your mind to focus on the problems. I mean, actually 
crimes, right? That's how we've evolved for obvious reasons to focus on problems so we can stay safe. But if you don't kind of disrupt that a bit and get your mind to look at what is working, then it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole. So kind of having that moment of gratitude to look around to pause, I think is key. That's very nice. My brother also uh, came over from New Zealand and was uh, introducing the gratitude practice at dinner. Aww. So it's, it's a nice thing to do. That's so lovely. Yeah. Um, I've mentioned this to you before, but I really love your podcast. Uh, Linda's podcast, The Psychology Behind, delves into the many sides of human psychology. Would you recommend any other books or videos or podcasts for someone to tune into to learn how to be healthier and happier? Do you know, I think with regards to sort of well-being, I think there's some amazing apps that, you know, out there now, whether it's Headspace or Calm, there's, you know, that can really, really help. And, um, and then in terms of, I think, books, I I'm kind of a real nerd with these things. I think reading sort of sources around CBT is kind of really critical just sort of, again, to learn about how your thoughts affect your feelings and behaviors, right? So mm-hmm. I need to get around your head around how that works the easier it is for you to, to kind of ensure that you have that understanding. So I would kind of go out there and I would actually just Google the text. I mean, there's so many out there, like, you know, there's like literally thousands of books in the area. But I would say taking almost, you know, a, a clinical stance towards it, getting into the nitty gritty will really help. So I even begin with sort of like a textbook around it to understand how this works. And then there's books with, you know, worksheets. There, there's a lot of wonderful information out there. Awesome. This is our last question. And you know, we have been in contact for for several years and you've had an amazing career and you've contributed so much to psychology and really helping people understand themselves and others better. Is there a a piece of advice you've received that's really helped you on your career journey so far? Do you know, it's not so much a career piece of advice, but it was something that, you know, my mom would always say to me, be good to people because everyone's fighting their own battle. And I think in business, this is very true as well. I think Mm -hmm. it's been like to this idea of kind of tolerance and kindness, which sadly I think are quite underrated <laughs> tools that we have, I, I think are really key. And I think the more that you're you're able to give space for the person across from you to feel comfortable to be the person they want to be, I think the better the relationship is, whether it's a friendship or a working relationship. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's what you were looking for, but I think that's the piece of advice that's always stuck in, in my head. That's super nice. I think it's a really nice thing to to consider and, and to act and put into your life each day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much, Linda. I am so thankful and grateful that you're on the podcast. And I really hope and everyone enjoys listening to this podcast as much as I have enjoyed interviewing you. Oh, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And I love your podcast. So keep up the amazing work. <laughs> thank awesome. Thank you so much for listening today, and we hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Linda Papadopoulos as much as we enjoyed chatting with her. You can follow Linda on Instagram at Dr. Linda P, on Twitter at Dr. Linda underscore P, as well as on LinkedIn too. We will post her social links plus a link to her website on the show notes for this episode. If you want to absolutely smash it in your career, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date with our weekly eps on all the latest tools, tips, and trends to help you grow. And if you love us as much as we love you, please also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so even more of you fabulous Growgetters can find us. Don't forget to join us on Instagram at Growgetters Podcast. And of course, please sign up to our Bumper Growgetters Growth Hacks e-newsletter too, which you can find on our website, growgetterspodcast.com. 
we'll continue to cover the latest tips, knowledge and hacks in your ears every single week to help you get growing. Chat to you next week.